Welcome back to Return to Oz Minute, where the podcast that Monday through Friday is analyzing one minute of the film Return to Oz at a time. I'm Tierney Steele. And I'm Mike Carlucci. And we're joined again by our special guest this week, Brad Mendenhall. Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me back. It was uh, Yes, it was so much fun. It's good to do this again. Uh, how's everyone doing? Oh, I'm doing well. This is a very emotional minute for me, though, because I love the Gump so much. And I am so on his side and always trying to advocate for his rights. And it's it's a lot. First of all, he gets called a sofa in this minute. Chi and I are not impressed with. <laughs> but I suppose I should tell you first that we're talking about Minute 74, which starts with the Gnome King finishing his explanation of how the game to get the Scarecrow back will work. And it ends with Jack wishing the gump luck as he takes his turn guessing. So anyone have a cuter first note than Dorothy's inability to sit still on the sofa? Nope. <laughs> I win. No, just kidding. Um, I, uh, this, Mike, you've brought this up before that they're kind of stuck in that they probably should have said, no, we don't want to play this game. But both TikTok and Jack make fair points of, look, we don't really have a choice. Yeah, she she goes to her council. With, and, you know, the gump is more or less, uh, you know, as we've, as we've discussed, an intelligent moose. I don't think Dorothy even knows how, how much he could bring to the discussion. But her two advisors, we've got the mechanical man, who's like, yeah, he's a really powerful magician. And Jack says... I don't know why he hasn't turned us to stone already. So they're really, he's giving them, the Gnome King is giving them a choice, but the Gnome King not only has all the cards, he also has all the chips. He has the seats. He has the table. Uh, you know, it's the, he just built the casino around them and then said, welcome. And then politely asked them, it's like, you want to play? It's like, hey, we pretty much have to, don't we? Since we're now in a casino and not on a mountain, I guess we're stuck. <laughs> I did. The way it's cut, I think it looks as if she's waiting for the gump to chime in, but he doesn't. It, like, lingers on them for half a second longer than you'd think it wouldn't if the gump weren't about to sit. And the way it's the wide shot, they always make sure to include the gump in there. Um, but, yeah, she agrees. We're doing this. So real quick, how much do you guys love the Gump? I I I like the Gump a lot. It's a I don't know if I just like mismatched characters like that, but uh, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, shoot, I, I, I he's gonna leave in us. He's gonna be gone by the end of this minute. I'm not gonna see him again. We're not actually gonna even be able to really talk about him again. Uh, well, we can talk about whatever we want. Yeah. Just listen to yesterday's episode, but uh. <laughs> But yeah, he, he, it's a fun, sad sack. It's sort of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh-like character. You are not the first person to make that comparison. I think I love him because he's so... He's done some very... Uh, well, okay, actually, I will just say, so after they call him the sofa, this little exchange with him and the Gnome King is an extreme logic exchange turned into a sarcastic pun. Which I feel like is every joke that makes me laugh on Twitter. Like, I don't understand how the Gump isn't more popular in our generation. Because it's the exact play on words, but, like, also ironic. 
eye-rolly responses that I feel like are so common now. And also, like, he's walking around on tiny little sofa legs, which is adorable. <laughs> sort of gives him a dachshund look. Oh, yes. Um, I do miss his wings, but it is it is very cute. Although, and part of it is I got way too into analyzing, like, how does the gump work? How do, What does the gump think he looks like? In, you know, what is his experience of all this? What is he thinking? And then in this one, it's just so like, why am I here? <laughs> it's like, no. And, you know, you call him the gump lady. Like, can you not give him some respect? He's been through so much and he didn't ask for any of this. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I really like that, uh, like that exchange. And it's, it's one of the lines that, uh, I'm, obviously, we're, we're talking about, uh, I should have quit while I was ahead. <laughs> uh, is one of the lines that really takes you back to the sort of humor that's in that that's in the books. It's more dry and strained, and you know the scarecrow has the uh, has needles pointing out of his head to show that he's sharp. Like it's it's all of that stuff that uh, that really gives you a, gives you a, a lens on the source material, and that this you know this really is another another Oz than than people have been exposed to. Uh, you know, in most of the the, the the takes and translations. Well, you realize it's sort of a reminder that, and I, hey, I love Wizard of Oz. It's a fantastic movie, and it was a really impressive um, theatrical feat. But The Wizard of Oz, in a lot of ways, wasn't a particularly accurate representation of the source material. It yes! was... <laughs> yeah, it, it was a case of... It was a known property. They wanted to make a musical. They had Judy Garland, who was, you know, a a superstar at that point, and they wanted to make this movie. And they sort of took the the source material and just did with it what they wanted. But you know, the the Wizard of Oz was was a series of books. It was a lot darker. There was just a whole lot of crazy stuff going on. Uh, You know, you talk about the dry wit, and you know, none of that was really in that that movie you know that, that doesn't take away from the movie it was just it's just two very different beasts and this is you know, sometimes this is a little bit more of an accurate representation it, that seems to happen all the time with wizard of oz it, it's it seems like a great starting point for a lot of stuff that goes in such wildly different directions you just have to look at the uh, the book wicked mm. and then compare that to the the stage play of wicked and both are really cool and both are wildly different. And I remember my parents went to see Wicked on stage. They loved it. And Mom's like, hey, don't you have that book? It's like, yeah, but I don't think, oh, let me read the book. It's like, I'm not sure. If... Let me read the book. And then she read the book. It's like, what What the hell? <laughs> yep. Yeah, my mom read the book. My dad had the soundtrack or the cast recording. And they did not understand that they had not experienced the same story whatsoever. <laughs> From what I gathered. Yeah, really different. You know, because the musical was a fun musical, and the book was a really dark, yeah, really dark take on the material. And it, it, it they say they basically just shared some character names and some vague ideas at the center of both. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, I was trying to like think of a transition, like speaking of things at the center, but it's actually the opposite. Um. Something that 
I did not, was not scared of as a kid, did not care, whatever. The hands that make the doorway creep me out so much more as an adult than they did when I was little. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a great effect and I have information, but like, oh, can we just take a minute and like, you know, have that reaction to it? Because that is a weird effect. It's really unnerving. And then the just the idea that you have to walk through Mr. Handywall is like, I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that Gump should do it. This, this, this seems like a worse and worse idea the longer it goes on. This deal's getting worse all the time. Um, maybe I won't mind it as much if I call it Mr. Handywall. <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunity. Um, no, I wanted to give... so. We've already talked about the claymation in this movie. There's already been a lot of claymation in this movie. But this doorway to me is the real, like, it's just straight up claymation. And it's done so well. And it holds up so beautifully. So I looked up the claymation art director is Barry Bruce. He is known for, well, he's still doing a work on a very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas in 2011. (laughs) So he's still working. He's still busy. Um, but when you look at his all filmography, you will see quite a few things we can remember him from. Um, he was involved in the California Raisins, oh, bringing nice. to life. Yep. He also did a lot of work on dinosaurs, which apparently was the meetup place for people in this movie afterwards. No kidding. Yep. That was just, those are some messed up, well, Dinosaurs was a messed up show. Do you guys remember that, or did you ever watch it? Yes. So I remember its existence, but not as well as Mike. <laughs> just a, it was like, part of like the Friday fun family shows, but if you actually watched it, it was unbelievably dark and um, adult. Uh, the, if you just have a chance, Watch. They have it on YouTube. You can watch the final minutes of the show of the series finale, where basically because of hijinks, gonna they, they yeah they bring on an ice age, and you the last thing you see is the baby character of the family, you know, looking at the audience and saying goodbye. It's like they're all gonna die. <laughs> we are going to die. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's a family comedy you got right there. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, black humor in that in that show too. <laughs> like, like jokes about uh, that I did not pick up on. Straight down to the characters having the last name Hess, which I never put together as a joke about the gas station until <laughs> Mike said it on this podcast. Yeah, uh, it it's good stuff. But they had a lot of like the special episodes where they were on drugs and. You know, Grandma dies. And... What? Like, outside of the not-the-mama gag, like, like there was a lot of really weird stuff going on. <laughs> I mean, and that's that's weird, but... Yeah. But it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't as lighthearted as, you know, Full House, or at the end of the day, everyone just gets in a big group hug, and they're like, yeah, we solved all the problems, but we, and we're not going to worry about the consequences. See, I'm, I was the Full House kid... Oh, oh, it was Hold great. On. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, here, here's the follow-up. You say you were the Full House kid. Have you watched Fuller House? Yes. 
<laughs> I love when they make fun of it. Like, it's time to hug now. That's what we do. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Not going to judge. My wife has watched <laughs> them all. My, watch is, my wife has watched the Fuller House. And she's hate, been hate-watching it a lot. She's like, it's terrible. It's like, of course it's terrible. It's Full House. Yeah. Well, you How- have to, like, embrace it. Yeah. It's it's not going to win an Emmy. That's not what it was ever designed to do, though. You know? Like, it's not changing the face of television. Just the family all love each other. Sometimes they go to Giants games. It's good fun. <laughs> Sometimes they hang out with the Beach Boys. Yes. Well, you know, honestly, I think that's where... I- I was super into the Beach Boys and then discovered Full House. And my dad hated it. It was just like, this is so sick. It was like, but the Beach Boys are in it. <laughs> so it's okay. Um, anyway, yeah, I watch a lot of really sappy TV shows in addition to these um, darker movies. I was going to also give a quick shout out to not only Barry Bruce. First of all, Barry Bruce is a great name. That's a that's really awesome. Um, Marvel Comics name. Yeah, I was uh, looking for the claymation artists, which I have to scroll because, of course, they're mixed in alphabetically with other people. Uh, claymation director Will Vinton. Claymation artist Joanne Radmilovich. Gary McRobert. Oh, Gary McRobert twice, but uh, once as an artist, once as a technical supervisor. Bruce McKean. Scrolling, scrolling. Mark Gustafson. And he's got a picture. He's done a few things. Uh, Joan Gratz. G-R-A-T-Z. Hope I'm saying that right. Tom Gassick. William Feasterman. I should have checked how to say these before starting this on the air. (laughs) Craig Bartlett. (laughs) David Altschul and Douglas Aberly. Since I don't know who worked on what, good job, all of y'all. <laughs> um, and also great when you look in miscellaneous crew for Return to Oz, you get a couple uncredited that I found interesting. Maurice Sendak, preliminary artwork, uncredited. I can see that. Yeah, well, and all- go ahead. Well, what must be just amazing is for all these people uh, who are involved in the claymation aspect, you know there's a just a subgroup of people out there who are really into claymation and really into this sort of this artwork, and you know for them this is like the Citizen Kane. <laughs> yes. And I always find that interesting, you know, movies that are just really big with a small subset of people. And, you know, people are, you have, I don't know, people who are really stoned love half-baked um, but more than that, like uh, movies that were Oscar winning caliber in one specific thing. And I remember when I was in my teens there, uh, Hey kids, once upon a time, Bette Midler was an A-list star. It surprised us too. <laughs> and she did a movie called for the boys. And it was a bomb because people weren't really interested in it. It was like, like her and James on, uh, singing, uh, following their careers, they were an act. They were performed for troops during different generations, and it, it wasn't a particularly uh, involving concept. And Bette Midler was already starting to to sort of lose that A-list luster. But the music in the movie was spectacular. So nobody saw the movie, nobody liked the movie, but it ended up 
getting Oscar nominations because of how good the music was and how good her musical performances were. So I believe she got a, a Best Actress nomination for that. And there's people who, you know, there's a little cult there of people who were, you know, Bette Midler fans, and she has a, a, a small but very passionate fan base who love that movie. And, you know, it, I, I just always, you know, people who love Tron, even though Tron wasn't a successful movie, but there's people who are really into the the way they inter, intermingled uh, the live action and animation and the the human faces on the animated bodies and how oh, they yeah. made that all work. And there's a, you know, a very passionate fan base for that. And, you know, you, you know, I, I, I believe there must be like a, just a group of people who just worship at the altar of this movie because of how wild the animation was. And I'm sure the people that you've been naming who were part of that process, mm-hmm. the, the claymation process, th- this must be like a real boon on their careers. Like, you know what movie I worked on? And, you know, everyone's just really ooing and aahing if you get to the right group as opposed to... Yeah. Other people who have idea that this movie exists. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. And I have to be pleased that uh, several of those names I read off were names of women. I know it's 2017 and things have changed a little bit, but I am always pleasantly surprised when I find movies from my childhood and there are women behind the scenes pulling the strings, being big shot. You know, I... Try not to worship too much at the altar of Kathleen Kennedy, but you know, they're they're I like to give it a shout out when I notice it. So good on them. Um, and like you were saying, I <laughs> I'm still indignant that Tron was considered ineligible for uh Oh god, what Oscar was it? But they said because it was done on computer, it couldn't count. And now it's it's some category that is completely dominated by CGI. Oh, I think was it the act or something? Shoot, Chris would know. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't considered qualified. And then like Avatar ended up winning it in our lifetime or something stupid like that. Um, no, I was that kid who was always um, trying to look up who won all the technical Oscar. I always said that's the uh, Oscars I wanted to go to was the technical and scientific awards. And my dad said, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> because I was like, oh, everyone wants to go to the big Oscars. This will be so much easier. And he just he was like, yeah, no, <laughs> it's not easier. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely love all the behind the scenes stuff of how this got made. And it's, it's so well integrated in this movie. Maybe it's because it's for kids that it doesn't feel... It never feels like there's an effect for the sake of the effect. Even though you don't need this fancy doorway with the hands. There could have just been a doorway or, like, an archway. No, but they they definitely did it so it would have an emotional impact, and it does. So everything that they do in this movie... It seems like they make sure to try to get their money's worth in either being a cool... It having not just being a cool ooh-ah effect, but a, a cool ooh-ah effect that still moves the narrative along. Aside from, you see that they the, um, go into that, through that wall, and it's like, oh, he's, he, he's not coming back out. That, 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 that's, a, that's a bad wall. And so it's a cool effect that also makes you feel something other than, hey, that's a neat effect. <laughs> yes. It's in, exactly. It's interesting because I... I you know, Tierney was just saying with how how well the 
the effects hold up. Uh, looking back at some some movies of you know around the same vintage, uh, you know some of the the uh, kind of stop motion effects and in claymation in Indiana Jones, you know, uh, and those ones, and then um, oh, blanking out, oh, Beetlejuice. I, like those effects are still amazing, but for, for, they they feel like they stand out more. Maybe it's because they're they're set in the real world, or because they're not explicitly kids movies. But they just they they look less less integrated, where the, like the the hand the hand wall I, I don't know to me still just it it just still does its job and I don't think about it as an effect. But it's probably easier to do than um, than like a skull decaying. I guess that's that's always gonna look look like something else. Well, it, it's, the skull decaying happened really really quick. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the, you know this is a. This is a deliberately paced scene. They're not trying to do any jump scares or any quick movement, and uh, you know they're they're not doing a lot of cheats. Um, we, I was just talking with uh, Scott Crelly from uh, Dueling Genres Productions, uh, who do a lot of minute by minute stuff, and uh, about the, the 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 last Spider-Man movie that just came out over the summer, mm-hmm. and it was called out that the big scene uh like at the big final fight took place at night and it really muddled some of the action and i was i sort of called out i was like you think that's on purpose where the effects were so challenging that they need to sort of you know throw a couple of shades of darkness on top of it so the seams didn't show very well uh, and, and that's a really quick scene taking place at night with so much going on, that it's really easy to hide some of the flubs. It'd be interesting to watch it frame by frame um, with, with, with your with your Blu-ray, and you know it, it gives themselves some room for error. There really isn't a lot of room for error in this scene because when those hands create that hole in the wall, it happens slowly and it allows the tension to build. And then you you know when it, and when it reinforms the wall, that that happens slowly as well. That was the argument for Hoth, right? Lucas wanted to see if they could do it because he said, you know, you can film anything in the blackest space and make it look good, but against white snow would be harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know that was a. And it's funny; it's one of these things where it, it shows um, uh, just a a real willingness to pursue the art. Where hey, they could have filmed that in the blackest space, and it would have been yeah. fine. There would have been not, you know, it, it wasn't like that. The, the stuff on Hoth had to take place on Hoth in that particular environment. It wasn't like important to the plot, but it really did add yeah. richness to the scene. It's like, and it looked different, and it gave you a different feeling than all the other scenes. So it's it's yeah. not just them flying to another spaceship or another outpost on a planet. I just, I think it's really, it warms my heart to know that when it comes to special effects, it's still easier to do at night. You know, <laughs> like we've come so far. But it's still like, you know what will help if this is in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, because you think FX can do everything. And then, you know, then you see uh, American Sniper. And they have the really freaky uh, special effects on for the baby's face. And it's like, oh, oh my God, that looks terrifying. And it's not supposed to be terrifying. Baby, it's just supposed to be a guy with his kid. But for some reason, they like CGI'd a different face on the kid or something. Oh God. Um, 
and it's like, oh, okay, they still they still can't do stuff, and they still yeah. have to cheat around it, and the, the you know they're well, you talked about Star Wars, the 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 Rogue One movie that came out, where they had a, a couple of CGI uh, actors who, mm-hmm. who they had a young Princess Leia, and it's you know it was basically Carrie Fisher with a I don't know how they did it if they just it was all computer animation or 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 whatever but it looked they gave her a CGI facelift and it looked terrifying. Uh, yeah, I uh, not to derail us too far into that, but I didn't mind the Leia as much because it was so quick. I didn't mind the Peter Cushing when he was standing there talking. The minute his character started moving, nope. Mm. There was some disconnect there when he was walking that I, like, that's where the uncanny valley fell for me. If he just stayed still, it was okay. (laughs) Um, But I know that's very controversial. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they they were doing that in the 80s. It's a much, much simpler time. But more work-intensive time. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, did anyone have any other notes on this minute? I had no, one. I think... Uh, yep. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. I, I, I don't. I do not. I had one check-in with the script. Oh. Uh, so, a, a scene we already did talk about. Uh, the exchange where the gump says, uh, I should have just quit while I was ahead. And then Jack saying good luck. Not in the not in the eighty four version. So it's another one where there's a quick, oh. you know, quick punny line that uh, was just punched up. Yeah. Oh god, it's so good though. Um, I will always root for the punny line too. <laughs> that's his most. That's really the Gump at his most Eeyore. When he's yeah begrudgingly be playing. He was trying to get out of it, too, because he says, like, I haven't got any, you know, what am I supposed to do? He's like, you can use your antlers. Oh. Tried. He tried. And if you were a moose, like, you probably have not used your antlers to just randomly, you know, poke at things. Right? I I don't don't know. Maybe maybe they do use antlers for that. (laughs) No, they're more more of a self-defense. Yeah, yeah. I think really... It's going to be weird. <laughs> yeah, use them to, you know, compete for a mate and, you know, scratch the fuzzy stuff that gets on them uh, every year when they come in off of trees. And I think that's yeah. about what antlers do for them. Yeah. So, you well, know, it'll be all right, but we're going to see how his guesses go. So everyone should come back tomorrow. Um... If they're looking for us in the meantime, I know, Brad, you can be found over at, is it CosmicGeppetto.com? Yep, CosmicGeppetto. Yay. Yeah, CosmicGeppetto.com, the home of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast, uh, which is a weekly pop culture show. Uh, Tierney has been on it uh, probably by the time this comes out. uh, She was uh, part of our big 100th episode spectacular. Uh, which uh, is, is coming together really cool. It's just a monster to edit together because we oh. 
we brought together uh, some clips and uh, some of our favorite guests and our favorite panelists and Tierney. Uh, she was on twice before for our um, all-women's panel because we were talking about uh, the, the movie Wonder Woman both before and after Wonder the film Woman. came. Yeah, that happened a lot on yeah, that episode. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, we put out episodes uh, before and after the film came out, and we decided we didn't really need a bunch of dudes screwing up the conversation. <laughs> so uh, Tierney, uh, Emily Kay, and uh, our dear friend Kathleen uh, took over and uh, just put together a really a couple of great episodes, and uh, Tierney was part of that. And um, you know, we have... If you like tyranny, and if you're listening to this, you like tyranny. And but why wouldn't you like tyranny? Um, she's been on it a couple times, and we have great guests like tyranny on it. So uh, it's worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. We talk movies, music, comics, TV, uh, basically anything that we feel like, and uh, we, we have a good time. That's a nice thing. It's a little bit of everything. Um, and now, did your movies by minutes podcast grow? out of the Cosmic Geppetto stuff, or did you meet Ryan separately? We have a, a, a friend of mine who, um, Katie, who is our sort of resident Harry Potter expert. Uh, she is the wife of uh, Ryan, and I, I've known Katie for a long time, and uh, we've been doing, we've gotten a little bit away from it. we got to dive back in. We've been doing a best of the 90s matchup. We had a, a an episode that was, uh, Army of Darkness versus Minutemen, and Ryan, uh, Katie recommended her husband Ryan to represent Army of Darkness, and he was so cool on that, and uh, so much fun that, um, and we've been toying around with spitting off to a minute by minute production, and uh, I talked with Ryan, and it was uh, the second time he and I talked was on the first episode of Minute of Darkness, so it was. <laughs> It, it, which made a you know Minute of Darkness a really fun show if you're a fan of the Army of Darkness uh, film and the minute by minute format. Um, the the show has wrapped. Uh, we had a great time doing it, but it was it was fun to watch, uh, fun to listen to because it's two guys who do not know each other at all. Uh, sort of you know day by day, not just talk, hearing us talk about the, the the movie and we have fantastic guests and a lot of fun, but it's also like it, these two guys who don't know each other like becoming good friends by the end of the show which is which is neat to watch hmm. i love how many of these podcasts have done that with people who like never met and then it all comes together it's a wonderful community i think if you're looking for more movies by minutes podcast because you just don't have enough somehow um i don't think i know anyone who has that problem but if you are looking for more uh, moviesbyminutes.com, which I believe is curated by Pete from Star Wars Minute, lists all the ones that are completed, like Minute of Darkness, or are currently releasing, like Return to Oz, when this episode comes out. If you're listening to it in the future, then we'll be there as completed. Um, and then if you're just looking for more Return to Oz, go to returntoozminute.com. That also has links to all our social media, including the Facebook what else is the website called? Weartiagpiag.com. Magic there. words. Whoa. <laughs> you want to lead us off? Weag. Tiag. Piag.